tried to talk Kim into letting me preach the sermon, but she said she didn't think y'all were quite ready for that. <laughs> Let us pray. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of your eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to page 301 in your pew Bibles for our Old Testament reading this morning. Reading from 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Our reading continues on the next page, reading from the third chapter of 1 Kings, verses 3 through 14. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child, and I do not how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. 
No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. The word of the Lord. Kim, you couldn't see some of you over here. I tried to hand you my script. <clears throat> so now let us read our gospel lesson, which you will find John chapter 6, verses 51 through 58, page 973 in your pew Bibles, if you would like to follow along. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died." But the one who eats this bread will live forever. May God bless the reading and hearing of the Holy Word. Will you pray now with me as I pray for you? Gracious God, speak to our minds and our hearts. Let us hear your words this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So in the story that immediately follows our reading from the book of Kings this morning, we get an ancient story that demonstrates how Solomon lives out this wisdom that he has been given by God. It's a lovely story, a story of two women who have two brand new babies, but one of the children dies. And then the mother of the dead child steals the living child and claims it as her own. And whoever these women are, they manage to get their dispute before the king, Solomon, who 2,000 years before DNA testing and Jerry Springer needs to figure out how to tell which woman is the mother of the living child. So he pulls out a sword and threatens to cut the child in half and give each woman half a child so everybody will have an equal share. One woman feels that this is an acceptable choice and she's willing to live with the king's judgment. But the other cries out and says, no, no, I relinquish my my suit, give the child to her. 
whereupon Solomon gives the child to the woman who cries out. For the true mother, of course, is the one who cared more about the child's welfare than about being right. The one who wanted the child to live, even if it meant giving her own baby away. God, give me wisdom. I can sympathize with Solomon's request. Not that I'm young and inexperienced, but sometimes I wish to be able to come up with quick answers like that, to which the response will be obvious. Because even with all my ministry experience, there are days and conversations in which I think to myself, I'm not ready for this. I don't feel experienced enough for this. I don't know if I'm wise enough for this. I particularly like these scriptures as interpreted by the common English Bible in which Solomon says, I can't do this without your help. Who can govern your people without your help? In his youth still, Solomon recognizes that he's not really ready to be king, that on his own, he will never be ready to be king. But with God's help, he could be a wise king. And yet, even as we are impressed by Solomon's request for wisdom in this passage and then the story that follows and his wise judgment in the case of the two women and the living child, we also begin already to see hints of the problems Solomon is going to have in the future. Now Solomon does become known as a wise king and indeed he also becomes an incredibly wealthy one. But he also becomes the king during whose reign the kingdom of Israel falls apart, leading to the divided kingdom after his reign that eventually leads to the Hebrews again being exiled in droves throughout the kingdom of Babylon. Solomon ends up becoming the epitome of what God through Samuel had warned the people about when they first insisted that they needed a king. Caught up in his own success and wealth, he forgets the God that he serves and who he asked for wisdom and help. Solomon goes out to worship God, but he worships God in the wrong ways and in the wrong places. And as he adds wives and concubines, about a thousand altogether. Solomon starts to become overconfident in his own prowess as king. And even as he is in the process of building the great temple, he forgets his allegiance to the God for whom that temple is being built and becomes ensnared by the world's ideas of greatness. He ends up using forced labor for his building projects and even sells off a portion of the promised land given to the people by God in order to finance the wood he wants to use to build the temple. Apparently it's possible to be simultaneously both wise and foolish in some matters. 
Solomon began to seek after other gods and eventually turns away from the God whose wisdom and answers were not always so obvious to these other gods who were much more simple in their requests, whose demands were easily understood and responded to. He starts to ask for more stuff from these other gods, these gods of quick and easy answers. The wisdom of the world even then said that fancy buildings and many wives and possessions and even fast chariots were a sign of success. And there are many today, politicians and pundits and even those who call themselves ministers, who would point to Solomon's financial gains and say, look, he's successful. Clearly, he is blessed by God. But that is the kind of worldly wisdom that leads people to a distorted version of the golden rule, that is, the version that says that those that have the gold make the rules. And like Solomon, when we are tempted to listen to the world, we too want the answers to come quick and easy. A fast food faith, we might call it. I was thinking this week about my son Daniel, who when he was five or so, had a week, I had a week that was a long, tiring week, and I wanted to go out to dinner one night. Not a drive through not standing at a counter, and with little boys in tow, we weren't going to go anyplace fancy, but I wanted to go somewhere where we could sit down and be handed menus and have someone take our orders and bring us our food and clear the tables so that, you know, I didn't have to do all of that. But Daniel, in our conversation about where we would go to eat, kept saying, let's go to McDonald's. How about Wendy's? Well, can we go to Burger King? And each time I would say to him, no, honey, I don't want fast food tonight. And finally, with the exasperation that only Daniel can muster, he said, but mom, I promise I'll eat slow. <laughs> this week's gospel passage with its little shocking nature about eating the flesh of Christ, is also a story of eating slow. When Jesus tells us to eat his flesh, he uses an interesting word, fajain, which isn't just to eat, but means to chew on, to eat with your mouth open, so everybody knows that you're eating. It's the word that's used to describe a cow chewing its cud. It's not a quick and easy swallow and you're done. No, this is spending time on that food, making sure that you taste and digest every little bit of it. It's not fast food. It's food you eat slow. The gods of our culture, like the gods of Solomon's culture, want to make us quick and easy promises and want to define what 
makes us important? Is it our bank accounts, our charitable donations, our multitude of toys and fast chariots? Is it the number of people who agree with us, the number of programs and activities we participate in, the accomplishments of our children? Is it the number of likes on our social media pages, the numbers on a scale, or the scores in a competition? And these are questions for more than just individuals. They also apply to societies collectively. What makes our nation, our civilization significant and worthwhile? Is it military might or economic dominance? Does might really make might make right? These things may make us smart and successful from a power standpoint, but is that how God defines success or wisdom? And what makes us successful as a church? Is it the biggest bank account? The largest staff? Is it having so many people that we fill the pews and have to put chairs in the aisles? An entertaining sermon and feeling of satisfaction when we leave worship for having gotten ourselves together to show up this week? Who defines what is wisdom and what is success? We are all looking anxiously for answers, for wisdom, for our personal lives, for our congregation, for our country and our world. And it is tempting to get caught up in listening to those who make promises of quick and easy answers fast food for the soul, fast food for our faith. You know, the quick memes that we can just post on Facebook or Instagram and say, oh, well, I've had my spiritual moment for the day. Sayings like, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that's the end of it even though anybody who's ever picked up this book and spent any time in it knows that it is never that simple. Just like God's offer to Solomon, the giving and receiving of eternal life is a simple transaction offered to us by Christ. Yet Jesus makes it clear to us over and over again that the learning to be a disciple, the learning to be wise, takes time. The, the ruminating, the chewing on the flesh, the learning and practicing and doing over and over again. The theologian David Lowe's reminds us that in Jesus, the word made flesh and in the sacraments, the word given physical, visible form once again, we meet the God who will be satisfied with nothing less than our whole selves. This is why Jesus speaks of giving us his flesh and blood. For flesh and blood is a Hebrew idiom which refers to the whole person, hearts, minds, spirit, feelings, hopes, dreams, fears, concerns, everything. Christ gives us his flesh and blood and calls on us to do the same. 
Jesus said that those who eat his flesh and blood abide in him. To abide with Jesus is to remain with him, focused on him, to be patient and to act in accordance with his teachings. So what does it mean to turn towards God's kind of wisdom? For the wisdom of God often looks like what is foolish to the world. Like Solomon, we often want, and the world wants, quick answers, easy solutions, fast food Jesus. But to follow God, to be wise in God's terms, means to take time to maintain our focus, to eat of Christ's body and spirit, to abide even when the world says what a foolish thing it is that we do. For Jesus asks us to do what is foolish in the eyes of the world, not to just show up one or two hours a week or a month to church to do our duty, but to take seriously our faith, to study our scriptures and the issues of Christian faith and life, to chew on the struggles together, to think about what it means to be a follower of Christ in community, to give up our worldly focus and take care of the widowed, the poor, the foreigner in our midst, to love God and love our neighbor, to forgive one another, to turn away from anger and revenge, to seek the good of all, not just self. It isn't the easiest or most obvious way, but if we truly seek God's wisdom, it is the way Christ calls us to follow. And we are blessed, for we are given this gift of a meal that reminds us of how Christ sacrificed body and flesh, life and soul for us, to give us strength in the remembering and the knowing, to give us the knowledge of in whom we abide, who we are and who we belong to. Christ calls us to this table to abide in his flesh, to live in community, to know that this is Emmanuel, God who is with us, Solomon knew as a young man that without God's help, he could do nothing. Without God's help, we can do nothing. But with God's help, we can make wise choices and together discern God's will. So may we take time to eat slow, to savor our relationship with Christ and continue to seek the wisdom of God. Amen.